Building a stronger financial foundation? Good plan. Northwestern Mutual's Guide to Good Financial Planning can help you balance spending and saving, set goals, and start creating the life you want to be living. You'll learn how the tools in your financial plan reinforce each other to help you minimize taxes and offset potential risks. Grow your confidence by strengthening your finances today at northwesternmutual.com slash goodplan. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And welcome to the On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things Dynasty, Prospect, and Minor League related. Today, we're joined, lucky to be joined, by Chris Clegg. Uh, he's, of course, very well known and uh, doubt he needs much of an introduction, but he is the founder of the Dynasty Dugout, host of the Toolshed podcast with Eric Cross, evaluator for SoxProspects.com, and the 2023 IBWA MLB Writer of the Year. Uh, definitely a online friend. We've been kind of chatting back and forth for a while now, so it's nice to have him on the podcast. Definitely someone that I kind of look up to in, in kind of making content and whatnot. And so really honored to, to have Chris on the podcast today. Uh, how you doing, man? Well, thank you. Those kind words, much appreciated. Uh, I'm doing well and happy to to be here with you. Looking forward to uh, doing the show. We've got a lot of good discussion points tonight, so so I'm pretty pumped. Absolutely awesome. That's that's great to hear. Um, and of course, Happy New Year to everybody. This yeah. is uh, going to be published on January 4th, so hopefully everyone hasn't already dropped their New Year's resolutions, but there is, of course, plenty <laughs> of time to still hit the gym and whatnot. But uh, wishing everyone a Happy New Year and, and best of luck going forward. Uh, but today, of course, we're going to discuss uh, a few different things here. We're going to dive into Chris's process for evaluating uh, pitching prospects specifically, um, you know, which prospects could make impacts to your uh, fantasy rosters in 2024, and then also how you can scout your own MILB players, your minor league guys, uh, as you're watching games. So we'll get definitely deep into that and, and kind of talk a bit more about, you know, Chris's process and and kind of, you know, how we go about building teams and whatnot and, and finding these players. So, um, but first, before we, you know, get deep into that, I wanted to kind of take this time to ask Chris a few more, a few other more questions kind of about like his background and where he gets, how he kind of got here. Cause that's something I don't, you know, hear a lot about from people. And it's always interesting to kind of see where, where people started, you know? So, you know, first off, how did you get into baseball in general? Kind of where did your fandom start? Uh, and then that, what kind of led you to fantasy baseball then after that? Well, I've played, well, I play, I say I've played, I played most of my life starting at four years old with T-ball. Um, just, Pretty much with the same group of guys. We actually, there was a group of guys that we grew up in the same neighborhood and all of us played on the same like uh, rec ball team and then into little league and even to travel ball too, which led to high school ball. But when we were young, we would just play out in the yard. We were, I was fortunate. We had a pretty good sized yard. It was, we made this baseball diamond in my backyard and we played tennis baseball every day in the awesome. summer. That was all we did. Yep. It, the fence was like 160 feet. So it was like a, a perfect field for like, you know, a bunch of little kids to play on. And right. as we got bigger and, you know, 10 to 12, like, you know, obviously hitting it over the fence and hitting our neighbor's house was, you know, the big thing. And so, you know, playing my whole life was a big thing. And I got out of the game for a while. I was just, I'm small. I'm like five eight, five nine on a good day. So, you know, eventually like the game kind of outgrew me. I was just smaller than everybody. I didn't have the power. I was fast, but that was, uh, kind of my forte and, uh, 
I went from being really good in little league to moving up to high school ball and playing C team. I just, I wasn't as good. So I ended up taking up golf and I was pretty good at golf and you know, had some time out of the game, but the love kind of never went away. Uh, I grew up near Atlanta. So big Braves fan and just having minor league ball all around me. Like I had the Greenville Braves actually where I am now. We now have the Greenville drive, which are the Red Sox org, but at the time, the the Braves had guys like Chipper Jones coming through the system and Andrew Jones when I was little. So, like, getting wow. to see all those guys was always uh, really awesome. Yeah, for sure. But so baseball has always kind of been a part of my life. And while I'd gotten away from the game, I got back into fantasy baseball probably when I was in college, I think it was. Um, and a buddy of mine happened to invite me to a league. He had been running the league since he was, like, 10. And... This league, it started in like 03, is still active today. And so he was like, you seem to know and like baseball. So if you want to join, you should. And so I joined the league and I ended up winning my first year. And it was the you know the first time I'd ever like put money on fantasy sports or anything like that. And I won the league and I thought it was pretty sweet. So it just kind of became an addiction, like to be better. Like how right. can I follow that up? Absolutely. Winning the first year. And so then I found Dynasty. Like that was just a redraft league and like, the first dynasty league I got in was a 30 team league and I Oof. joined this deep dynasty league that was existing. So I took over, I found this team on maybe Reddit or something, a forum. I don't even remember, <laughs> but, and it needed work. And so like the, the farm obviously needed, I knew I had to rebuild the team. So I started with the prospects and like finding those guys was like adrenaline rush, I guess. So like if I could find the next big thing, then I would have such an advantage. And you know, that kind of flowed over to me. I go into more minor league games in my hometown. And that was like, even like before I did any of this, but I still remember like it was opening day of 2019. And I remember going the West Virginia power were in town, which at the time was Seattle Mariners. And they had Julio Rodriguez. They had Jared Kelnick. They had Logan Gilbert pitching. And I remember just watching these guys just being so enamored and like, I, and that was before J-Rod was really a thing. And I remember like, yeah. like this, this guy's it. Like, you know, I, I really think this Julio Rodriguez guy might be something before anybody had talked about him. And so like, that was like really the starting point of me. Like, I think I've got something in this. Like, I think I can, I can make something of it. And so, you know, it kind of led to starting just a small blog that nobody cared about to getting picked up by uh, Michael Simeon at SB Streamer at the time and then just kind of going from there end up connecting with eric cross um through a, a league we played in and you know started writing a fan tracks and we started doing the tool shed pod and and the rest is kind of history it's just, dominoes yeah yeah it, it's, it's been a, like it started as like a crazy addiction with just like uh yep. wanting to win and beat my friends yep. and then finding these next stars of the game when they were 18 years old and now it's uh just something that's you know part of my life a huge part of my life which is really cool to say yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's awesome. It's it's a good, like, you know, progression. It could, you know, like I said, domino effect. It kind of, uh, it all makes sense, right? It's like, yeah, this is should sound familiar for a lot of people. You know, that's kind of how, how it goes. Um, I know for me, you said you played in the backyard. Um, and we... Uh, my friends and I played in the front yard. One of my friends had a like a four car garage, and so the driveway was massive, and that was just yeah. like the infield diamond. Uh, and so like we would just like launch balls down the street. Um, it was a you know a suburban neighborhood, so it was, and we were like ten. Uh, but then it was very quickly like 
as we got older, I think someone hit like a line drive at a car window and that was like the last time we played, you know, <laughs> just, you get to the point that's where awesome. you kind of grow out of it a little bit and you're like, okay, all right. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, I could see that. Um, but yeah, it's, that's cool. Um, and then, you know, as you kind of like went through this whole process, you eventually, of course, uh, started making content and doing, you know, the hookups with, with Eric Cross and everything like that. Um, so was there kind of like a, a realization, like when did you kind of come to the creating content part of it that you wanted to like do things for other people uh, to kind of like be like kind of a, a voice and kind of like that? So, yeah, how do you kind of get to that point? Well, it's it's really tough because it, when I started, I didn't think anybody would care or, or listen. Why would anybody listen to me? Sure. Like I was just a guy that was just starting up. Like I was writing, like my writing probably wasn't very good. Actually, I, I know it wasn't very good. I don't want to go back and read <laughs> those, those first articles I wrote, but, uh, I do think that that's important part of the process is like learning and like refining from our mistakes and, and being better every day. And that's kind of what drives this is that I just want to be a little better in what I do every single day because I believe that if I can be even 0.1% better tomorrow than I was today, then by the end of the year, I'll be significantly better than I was, you know, this point today. And so I think my drive to do this is just really to share that love and passion. Like, you know, baseball, they say is a dying sport, but I don't believe that. I don't believe that baseball is a dying sport. Right. And I want to be a voice that helps that, that helps others connect with the game and in a way that maybe they haven't a long time or, you know, maybe they never have. And so I want to share my passion. I hope my passion flows through everything that I do. And so if others see that passion, then I hope that they will be passionate about it too, or at least, uh, you know, have a little interest. And so when people say that baseball is a dying sport, that nobody plays fantasy baseball, I think that's kind of wild because I'd say that like my niche, your niche, like in prospects and dynasties, a pretty small niche in the grand scheme of like this whole thing. Even in just fantasy baseball, it's a really right. small niche. But or even just fantasy sports, the, right? Like it's yeah. it, like within the sport, within the you know the game, within the the group of players. Yeah, it's like, it's, you know, yeah, the funnel all the way down to like minor league prospects. Like who cares? But a lot of people do care. And like when people tell me that, hey, like you i play dynasty because of something you said or like i drafted this person and got excited like somebody told me today like i drafted roman anthony last year because of mm. you and look how he turned out i think that's so cool yep. like you know when when you can help somebody else and you know at the end of the day like we all do this for one reason or another but i love sharing that passion first and foremost and also it's kind of fueled me like to be better, to pursue a career. And this is, that's the end of the day, this is what I love and this is what I enjoy doing. And so like, that's kind of, uh, what drives me is to help others and to, to make a career out of this, which is crazy to think. Like right. I would never imagine that, but <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just coming to be a possibility. It's so crazy. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And it's just, it's such a good community, you know? Um, yeah. and you know, you have the, the dynasty dugout I'm in the discord for that. And it's just, it's, it's constant, like, baseball talk you know and like supporting others and like offering advice and like you know like here's my thoughts on this potential trade or like you know and everyone's just very much there yeah. for each other it's, there's like really no like insults thrown around you know it's all very supportive cooperative i mean other you know baseball chats on discord that are very similar too it's just it's a very yeah. cooperative space and it's really cool when you can kind of carve out 
your kind of spot in that, you know, and, and kind of be a part of that. And, and like you said, help, help others and kind of, and be there. So it's just, I, I found it really rewarding. It's, it's kind of nice to hear you mention, uh, mention that and kind of wanting to give back and everything. So, um, yeah, it's definitely cool to, to kind of be a part of it. Um, and then one last question before we move on, have to ask it. Cause it's like I said, you know, early January, do you have a dynasty baseball new year's resolution? <laughs> Uh, maybe not like specifically related to dynasty, but, uh, my res I guess resolution or goal was to, to become a full-time content creator this year. Go. And so like that, you know, well, it's not, I guess it's specifically dynasty focused cause I do dynasty stuff. Uh, that's, uh, that's what I'm working towards right now. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. That's awesome to hear. Well, obviously we wish Chris uh, the best of luck in doing that. And I think if anyone can Thank do you. it, you're definitely one of those. So um, that. with that, we will go ahead and step away for just a minute and uh, we'll catch a, a quick ad and then we'll come back and we'll dive into the process of evaluating pitching prospects. Building a stronger financial foundation? Good plan. Northwestern Mutual's Guide to Good Financial Planning can help you balance spending and saving, set goals, and start creating the life you want to be living. You'll learn how the tools in your financial plan reinforce each other to help you minimize taxes and offset potential risks. Grow your confidence by strengthening your finances today at northwesternmutual.com slash good plan. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. All right, and we are back and ready to discuss those pitching prospects uh, that we talked about. Um, you know, I wanted to kind of do this this segment uh, with Chris specifically, you know, because pitching evaluation, I think, in general is, you know, both at the major league level and the minor league level, it's maybe the most volatile analysis that fantasy managers undertake. You know, there's always just a constant inundation of new methods, statistics, new insight as to, you know, what's predictive or what's important for pitchers, you know, about their their arsenals, their fastball, you know, everything like that. And, and it's constantly changing. We get, we get new stuff all the time. And so, you know, even beyond that baseline for, for what pitching skills are, we've also seen the pitching prospect landscape change uh, pretty drastically. It seems like recently, you know, pitchers are being promoted much quicker uh, and they're having also significant, uh, rule changes in the minor leagues that are affecting pitchers with the, the ABS system and AAA and the tacky ball and uh, the Southern League and whatnot. And so there's just so many moving parts to this. And I think sometimes, even you know, for myself, I feel a little bit like lost in the shuffle. Like, all right, I need to recalibrate and kind of focus back in on what's most important and kind of like what we want to focus on, right? So um, I figure this is a good chance to pick Chris's brain about where we're at kind of as as evaluators, as fantasy managers, and, um, you know, kind of see if we can, uh, you know, recalibrate and kind of talk some more about about this process. So um, so in general, Chris, kind of an overview to start, you know, how have you seen the pitching prospect landscape change in the past year or two? Well, you mentioned it is certainly an emphasis on, you know, pushing pitchers faster. I think teams don't want to waste their bullets on these great arms in the minors, especially when we see so many guys go down with injury. The risk is extremely high. I'd say the injury risk on pitchers is higher than ever because we have so many arms that are throwing harder than ever. I mean, just look at the historical landscape. And, you know, if you're not throwing 95 plus now, then, you know, you have to be very unique to excel. And so with that 
comes more risk, more injury. Sadly, we've seen it from some of the game's best, like Jacob deGrom, you know, throws a 94-mile-an-hour slider at times, but he can't stay healthy, unfortunately. So the pitching prospect landscape has certainly changed in that you have to be reactionary uh, because guys pop up all the time. I think that, you know, we can talk a little bit more about this potentially where I think especially in the fantasy and dynasty landscape, it's not so much in, about investing in the top-end guys because, you know, everybody knows those guys. Everybody is in on those guys, and those guys get hurt. If we just look at the historical track record of top pitching prospects over the years, it doesn't look so great. But the, in, the return on investment is with these uh, guys that nobody knows about that pop up, that have good stuff, that have outlier traits. I just think about like a, a Brian Wu, for instance, who Wu was not really a big prospect by any means. Nobody really talked about Brian Wu. Saw him in the Arizona Fall League in 2022, and still it was like, okay, like this guy's decent. And then Wu just pops off because he's got such an outlier fastball, and he's a major league starter now, and he's probably will be for a long time. Right. So, you know, I think that the landscape has changed in the sense that, you know, teams are so aggressive. We'll see guys stay at certain levels for just such a short period of time. But also, I think that teams also, we have so much data now, especially when there's stuff that orgs have that, that we don't have, but they have this stuff. And so they can look at it and say, all right, there's no point in wasting our time with this guy throwing against double A hitters. Like, it's just not worth it. It's not worth the risk for us when we know that this stuff can excel or compete against these major leaguers. And so like from that standpoint, I'd say data, I would say like just the, the biomechanic nature of things that the teams have, like they're just going to be more aggressive and teams know what to look for. And I hope that this all leads to there being less misses like from these top pitching prospects. But again, you can't control injuries. Like we can't just turn off an injury slider like a video game, unfortunately. Right. So that's a major factor, but also, you know, given the amount of data that we have, like you would hope that there's less misses at the top of drafts or like, you know, these guys just don't just randomly fall off for performance reasons at least. So yeah, I think in the standpoint of the last couple of years, it's just teams being more aggressive and we have to be ready for that and, and pounce on that in fantasy purposes. Right. And uh, like what you mentioned with, with less misses, I recently looked at um, pitchers who hadn't appeared in AAA um, the previous year and then like pitched in the majors in the current year. And what I found with those pitchers in 2023 was that they performed much better, like significantly better than in 20, than those guys had done in 2022. And so, you know, it just, it seems like these rookie pitchers that have always been very volatile and still definitely to a degree are volatile. There are, there's just kind of like a bit more success. Um, they seem to be better prepared, I think, when they come in. And um, there's, I think that there's so many different kind of like things that are playing, like you said, with data and, and with teams getting kind of more savvy about um, bullets and everything like that. Um, and then I think also like some things that have been very, you know, uh, popular in, in kind of the discourse on why we had all these guys come up in, in 2024 and why there was, you know, a new pitching prospect every week, you know, it's like, the, well, we have these new promotion incentives. Um, I had heard Todd Zola mention on a, um, a poll hitter podcast recently that I think was really interesting about the short in 2020 draft and how that yeah. created like a pretty big, like influx of, of talent and kind of how everything kind of bunched together a little bit and how we're kind of coming out of that. 
Um, and then also just, like you said, saving bullets. Is this maybe just a deep class of talent? Is this, you know, enough of a sample size to even say that we're kind of seeing something drastically different? So kind of how, how have you seen these kind of popular um, conversation topics kind of come together to create this current landscape? Like how much kind of weight do you have to these kind of things um, as you're kind of looking at what's happening? Yeah, so I do think that the draft, the 2020 draft had a big effect and it pushed back the international signing as well. We saw the effects in the Rule 5 draft this year. It was just not a good right. Rule 5 draft. Mm -hmm. It was not a lot of talent and 10 players were selected. So it just kind of showed there how that affected um, everything. Also, I would say as somebody that watches the lower levels like every night, like I've got high A in my town, I go to Columbia for single A, the talent level's just not good. And so you have these guys, so like Cade Horton, for instance, I saw Cade Horton at the beginning of the year, he's single A Myrtle Beach. I mean, he's just so advanced. He's okay. facing the like, the Columbia's lineup that's, that's so bad. Like mm -hmm. it was horrific until after the draft and it still wasn't great. But when you have these advanced guys, they're just so much better than everybody else. So they're gonna move quicker naturally and I would say the overall landscape of the minor leagues, which is crazy to say because they like sh shrunk the minor leagues too. Like we have 120 yeah. affiliated teams outside of complex and DSL, but they've cut down teams and the talent's still not there. I'm not sure if we can still say that this is on COVID at this point, certainly directly out of the draft, there was a talent gap, but I still saw it pretty bad this year, especially at the single A level. There's just guys that don't feel like they should be playing professional baseball and that's not to knock anybody but it's just the nature of the minor leagues right now and so with that you're going to see those really standout players get promoted much quicker they're going to be pushed you look at like you know the deeper class talent i would say this 2023 class was an extremely deep draft from that standpoint so hopefully we see the talent gap kind of shrink a little bit just because of the depth that's that's a big thing and so hopefully now, like we're far enough removed from the pandemic as to where the draft classes should be more solid and kind of balance the playing field a bit in the minor leagues. But when we look at these different things, like these these different factors that are going on, ultimately, I think it, you can just tell like the standout guys and teams it, like they just teams aren't going to waste the time on these players just dominating the lower level guys like. That's why we see these younger players push so much, I'd say, and for various reasons, the CBA now where there's incentive to push guys to the majors where, you know, they can, teams can get a draft pick if they win rookie of the year, which obviously matters. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, like development's huge and teams don't want to waste development on a Kate Horton in single A. Just his stuff is so good that why would why would we waste the time there when he's going to strike out? He can strike out guys non-competitively without even trying. Right. So, you know, they're going to be more aggressive with that type, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And um, specifically what you were saying with the, the single A talent level, I think is interesting because, um, you know, it's something that I think a lot of people are aware of that may be in the back of my head. But, you know, if you're looking at a prospect's, you know, performance in single A or maybe how long they're at single A, kind of how how is that affecting your um your kind of view of how players are performing at that level you know are you kind of discounting some stats are you looking maybe more at like 
um, the, the intangibles at that point, more about like their swing approach, things like that. Kind of like, how does that kind of knowledge of the lack of high end talent affect then how you look at prospects who are going through those levels? Yeah. And I think that's why it's so important to look at the player beyond the stats, because any good player is going to dominate it at single A. They should. Like if they don't, then it's pretty telling for the most part. So I think that's why you have to look a little bit more under the hood. Like, what is this player? What's he made of? What's this pitcher like? Like, why does this pitcher dominate? Like, is he dominating just because he's got a big fastball? Or here's the common thing I see a lot. Like, guys, a good changeup. Like, a, a, any pitcher with a good changeup is going to eat up these lower-level you know, hitters in the minors. So do they have a good fastball to play off of it? If not, they're typically going to struggle as they move up, and that's why you know, these change-up first arms can perform well in the lower levels, but as they move up, it doesn't necessarily always happen. It's why you know, I'm a little bit weary of like a Yu-Min Lin type whose fastball sits 89. He has a filthy change-up, but this is only plus pitch. Like the rest of the arsenal is just okay. And so you can you can beat up hitters at the lower levels in single A and high A with that change-up because they're not used to that. Prep guys don't throw change-ups. Most prep pitchers aren't throwing dominant change-ups. It's rare that you have a Dylan Lesko who had such a good change-up in high school. So that's a pitch that develops later. So when you have that younger, you can tend to get away with that. And for hitters too, I think it's so important to kind of, you know, take a step back and look at the larger picture of, of what is a hitter. Like, you know, any hitter that makes a lot of contact is usually going to excel because they're getting a lot of bad and non-competitive pitches too because at the lower levels you got a lot of pitchers whose fastballs just don't have it they're leaving pitches over the heart they're leaving hanging curveballs and any professional hitter is going to do damage with that so a hitter that has decent contact skills typically performs well in the lower levels and may kind of perceive to have power because they're hitting these hanging pitches that just just aren't competitive for that matter and so i think you have to really dig a little deeper now and say like, okay, like, what is it? Like, what is this player? Beyond what the Fangraphs page tells me, like, what does this player do? What are his strengths? What does the body look like? And I think that's another thing too, is you're looking at a player's body and what does that project like? Because we can look at a five foot seven player. When, when I see a player that's shorter than me on the field, I'm not very confident, <laughs> just being honest. Like, right, right. But, it's just we don't see that body excel in the major leagues. Jose Altuve is a major exception yeah. to the rule. It just is what it is. And so, like, if they're 22 and they're 5'7", 180, like, just, it, there's not a lot of projection there. There's not right. a lot of room for growth at that point. So that hitter may be advanced and dominate lower levels, but what does it project like? Meanwhile, you look at the guy who is – has the body maybe he doesn't have all the intangibles yet maybe he's struggling with this or that but you say okay well he's not got to the power but we're looking at a six foot four kid that's you know 180 pounds in the system for another two years add a little weight add a little bat speed like this guy could give you something so i think that looking at the player's body and the projection does matter and knowing like what does this body project to age like because a a 5'7", 180 player just doesn't project to have a, a good major league body, like somebody that's six foot two, 180, or six foot four, 180 for that matter. So, I think that those other things do matter when we're when we're looking at the players too. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, and then by the time 
these players get to double A then and they're performing well, that's when everyone, it seems like that's when everyone really starts to get on these guys. You start to see the Twitter videos and uh, yeah. yeah, that's when they kind of get the hype. So if you're with someone who can go and kind of get that information a little earlier, I mean, that's that's definitely going to be huge, you know, because like you said, that the the stat lines can only kind of get you so far. And a lot of it is, is really just in the projecting of the player's physical abilities. So uh, it's yeah. definitely important. Um, and then, so with um, which with, with pitching development, um, you know, you mentioned how important it is, you know, how common it is now for pitchers to throw 95, 96. It seems like kind of the baseline now. And so that like that velocity revolution, if you will, has happened and now everyone's throwing harder. And then, you know, I think what we've kind of seen recently is that now there's more of an emphasis on, you know, pitch design, movement profiles. We have, you know, things like Stuff Plus has been really popular recently. Now we're looking at like inverted uh, a vertical break or um you know, uh, seam shifted wake, release point extension, like how all these things are playing together to create an arsenal. You know, if you had a cutter, it affects the fastball, all these things, right? So, you know, um, how has this kind of this data-driven pitching development, you know, changed your own evaluation process? Um, and maybe even kind of how are scouts are looking at this differently, if you have any insight there. Yeah, and so the interesting thing is every org's so different. Like the Yankees interestingly enough, do nothing with, with this. Like they don't care about it at all, which is bizarre because yeah. you actually saw how well they ranked on, if you saw baseball America's article about like looking at minor league stat cast, they're, they're pitching. I think their pitching was like third, which is crazy, but oddly enough, like, so Garrett Cole won the Cy Young this year, the Yankees refused to give him any data. He had to go out on his own and actually, yeah. And get, he had this, a site built for him wow. completely. It like looked at every, all this underlying data and, Look what it did. He he won the Cy Young. He lowered his home run to fly ball rate. Like he kept the ball in the yard more. The pitch design, like that stuff matters. So every org's so different, but you also have orgs that do this. Like the Pirates. I saw Bubba Chandler three times this year. The Pirates made Bubba Chandler throw a slider the second pitch of every count. Like just it's crazy. Yeah. But like we have all these like data revolution, but every org's just doing something different. So, like, Kate Horton, when he was at the lower levels, like, they were really focused on developing a split change, too. So, like, it was like, okay, you're going to throw this at this point in the count. Like, it was just, he didn't have a choice. So, in some sense, like, we see the extremes and we see the, the other extremes where orcs just aren't doing anything with it. But in the process, like, things that we see, like, we see Stuff Plus pretty regularly. Like, that's a more public data point. And I think it's useful but I do think there's like other things to look at with it. A lot of people just want to use as an end all be all and be like, oh man, like his fastball stuff plus is so good. But there's certain things that, that stuff plus just can't account for that, that matter too. Uh, seam shifted wake is crazy. Like I'm still trying to wrap my brain around what yep. in the world seam shifted wake is to be honest with you, but it's been a revolution. The, the fastball IVB revolution. We're actually seeing like some orgs go back to sinkers now. It's interesting. So like, it was all right at the top of the zone. Yep. And now it's like we're seeing the sinkers. But yeah. Well, it was really I, cool to see in the playoffs. Like uh, Corey Seeger, we talked a lot about how they just like when facing like Christian Javier, like getting on top of that fastball. And it feels yeah. like, you know, it's like these players adapt, you know, like yeah. they eventually learn to, to hit it. You know, they were hitting like what, like wiffle balls, like foam balls that rose, you know. And so it's like yeah. at some point it's going to become a bit more hittable. 
Um, also, I messed up on IVB. It's induced vertical vertical break. I think I said inverted. Um, so just note there if you go Google that or something, it's it's induced <laughs> vertical break. But um, but yeah, so it's like these guys definitely they learn, they adapt, and then you know, there's like like you said another shift. Now it's okay. Let's go back to sinkers and kind of yeah. try it that that way again. You know. Yeah, but I think the interesting thing is like some orgs are too too cookie cutter in general. Sure. And certain pitchers can't throw certain pitch types well. It just you have a pronator versus a supinator, and certain pitches work, and some don't. Like you're not going to take a six foot seven righty and with a high release point and have him throw a high IVB fastball. It just doesn't work. Like that, the physics don't work behind it. But some orgs say like, okay, like every pitcher in our organization is going to learn to throw a, a high riding four seam, and it's can't work but the orgs that we see adapt pitcher to pitcher are the ones that matter most because you know you have somebody with a lower release height who can spin the ball backspin the ball well enough to see it rise and get those ivb numbers play with that guy let him throw the four seam but also like don't force the the tall high release guy to throw the four seam when it when it doesn't work that guy needs to be throwing a sinker down and letting it run so every player is so different and it's just so interesting to see like which orgs actually care about that and which orgs don't. They just say, okay, this is our model. This is our cookie cutter approach and we're going with it. But the individualized approach I think is more important than ever in today's game, especially when we're looking at pitching development because every pitcher is so unique. Some guys aren't going to be able to throw a slider. It's just the nature of it, like at least well. Some guys aren't going to be able to throw a 12-6 breaking curveball. Just just is what it is. Like you're, we're tr a lot of teams are trying to force players to do things that aren't natural and aren't going to work. So every org's different, and you have to, you know, if you, the, the more insight you have into that, the better, obviously. And you talked about like general scouting practices, at least like what scouts are doing. I think it's just looking at that from that standpoint, like every pitcher's so individual, but also knowing the nuances of what orgs that are doing is very helpful too. Like if you can, if you know that, like if you know that, okay, like Bubba Chandler's, why is he getting hit here? Well, I mean, he's throwing the same pitch in the second pitch of every at-bat. So yeah. naturally, you know, people pick up on that stuff. Right. So, yeah. yeah, those things do matter. Yeah. Is there, a, is there like a specific uh, team or org that you've noticed that does this kind of individualized approach pretty well? Um, I do think that, I mean, I see the Red Sox every night. Like, they've done a good job. The Red Sox pitching development took a major step forward in the last two years, I'd say. And it should be even better with bringing Craig Breslow in. I mean, Breslow is a pitching guru. He brought some of his guys with him. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. But I've seen that firsthand, like that individualized approach working for guys. Like they're they're not going to force guys to do something that they're not or be somebody that they're not. I see the Royals a lot in Columbia. So the Royals are interesting because they've had a lot of talent that they've just completely, I'd say talent, but they've had a lot of high draft picks that just flamed out completely. And I don't know, like their approach hasn't worked. They do have a completely new development staff in now. So I'll be curious to see what those changes look like. But you saw Asa Lacey just, he's a non-prospect now. I mean, right. Frank Mazzucato is just moving complete, been going the wrong direction completely. Like what they're doing hasn't been working. And so this has to be changed. So you know, I'll be curious to see like, what do those guys look like in 2024? Because, you know, while I don't have any direct insight to say that like the Royals are just forcing guys to do something or be somebody that they're not, what they've been doing clearly hasn't been working. And so, you know, what does the new staff bring to the table 
I guess we'll see in, in 2024. Yeah, definitely. And it's nice to see organizations make some changes like that sometimes too, you know, at least showing that they're going to be doing something different and, you know, trying to work work a bit differently, you know. So um, that's always definitely good to see and we'll have to keep keep up with the, what's going on there for sure. Um, and then for your uh, process and kind of evaluating pitching prospects. Can you kind of kind of walk us through um, what you're looking at? You know, when kind of evaluating a pitching prospect, um, kind of how you go through the process. Like any insight, I think would be really helpful because um, you know sometimes like it is definitely it is a very big pool of, of players you know yeah. like like you said you could turn on any number of minor league games in a night if you get that the milb.tv right and then you start you can definitely go down the rabbit hole pretty quickly so kind of like how do you hone in that uh, process and and what does that look like for you yeah and so i think that the first thing is trying to have no biases when you're looking at a pitcher i think it's easy to kind of go in and say like like maybe the pitcher hasn't performed good like you look at the baseline stats and Hadn't been great. So you go in with biases or you say, oh man, this guy's like so awesome. And you have expectations. So like when I'm seeing a guy for the first time, like I'm trying to go no bias at all. Like I don't like, I guess I'll use Jordani Monegro as an example where I had biases about him because I'd watched him on the film so much before he came to Greenville. And then like, so I, I tried to come into it with a clean slate. Like I knew what the, the Sox director of international scouting told me about him. Like, He's the reason that I was even interested in him when he first got called to Salem because I'm sitting there with this guy at a game and he's we're talking about guys. He's like, you heard of this Jordani Monegro guy? At that point, like I was like, yeah, I know the name, but I haven't seen him. You know, he hadn't pitched at that point, even at the complex. And he was like, he's gonna be a guy. And so, like naturally in my brain, I'm like, right. this guy's a stud. Like, yeah. okay, like their international scouting director believes that this believes in this guy. Like, I'm gonna believe in him too, but. I have to go into that with no biases and, and say like, okay, that's one person's opinion. And while it's an important opinion that matters, especially in the org, like I need to have my own opinion formed. And so I try to go in with a clean slate on guys, but um, I'm certainly watching for, you know, sequencing. Like that's kind of a big thing. Like what pitches are they throwing and what counts? Like, are they predictable? Like, are they going to throw the same thing? Manegro is interesting. He works backwards pretty comfortably if he wants to, like if throw the curveball at a zero zero count, which is interesting. Not a lot of guys do, but how do they sequence? How's the mechanics repeated? Like, are they crazy violent? Like Nick Frosso is a prospect that worries me because so violent delivery wise. So you watch Nick Frosso, like his the way his leg flings around after he throws is just so wild. Like it's so aggressive, and that kind of worries me when the heads kind of fling into the side or like when they're throwing their head to the first base side, like if they're a right-handed pitcher, like those things kind of give me some pause, but I'm looking for like just pretty simple mechanics overall. Like, do they repeat it? Well, do they throw strikes? And that's really simple. Mm. Like, can they throw strikes? Do they throw where the catcher's setting up? Like, can they command the pitch? So there's difference in command and control. The sense like command command is like, are they throwing the ball where they're intending to throw it? While control is like, do they throw strikes consistently? And the nice thing is, like, for now for minor leaders, like, you can look up strike rate, like, how much we have that database on our site where you can just, like, how many strikes are they throwing? Like, optimal percent, like, average, like, 63% strikes. So, guy goes below 60%, it's like, this isn't good. Like, you're throwing less than 60% strikes, not ideal. Then I think that 
it depends on what you want. Like, are you a stuff person? Or are you like a command control person? I think a little bit of both is good. But like, let's look at the stuff. Does the pitcher have a 90 mile an hour fastball? They Okay, if they do, is there any projection? Are they, one, are they young and do they have projection? Can they see some velocity gains? Because that's important. A few pitchers can excel with a 90 mile an hour fastball in the majors, just is what it is. And then what do the secondaries look like? Maybe they've got a good fastball, but do they have anything else to play off of it? Like those are obviously important. I think we always talk about these two pitch guys and can a two pitch guy make it? Well, I guess it, the question is how good are those two pitches at the end of the day? Like Spencer Strider excels with a fastball slider because they're both incredibly good pitches. Right. Most people aren't him. Yeah. Most people need a third offering. So there's a reason Strider's one of the best pitchers in the game. So we've got to look at that and say like, okay, like I can normally look and say like what I at least think if a guy's going to be a bullpen arm after a couple outings, like it doesn't take much to look and say like, this guy's going to have to make a lot of tweaks to be a starter. And yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, everybody wants to think most pitching prospects are going to be starters, but most of these guys end up in the bullpen. Most relievers are just failed starters at the end of the day. It's not a bad thing. A lot of these guys still make the majors. And they're great relievers, but some guys just aren't cut out to start. Another thing that's interesting is like, how does the V, when you think about that, does the velo hold throughout a start? Like I see guys that'll be 95, 96 in the first, then 90 in the the fourth. Like that's not ideal. So all those things I'm kind of looking, just kind of piecing it all together. Like what does that pitcher project to be based on the body type, the projection that they may have, what does the arsenal look like? Can they throw strikes? And is the re- delivery kind of wacky? Like, and you know, guys can make weird deliveries work, but you know, typically guys that are very volatile typically are the ones that are have more stuff going on. They have some funky looking. They're very aggressive. I guess I was the term that I will use there with their delivery. And so, if it's high effort, you know, those things matter too. So, a lot to kind of just say, like, you know command control stuff and, and body and delivery. Right. Um, and there's so many different like moving parts. And I think, you know, yeah. like we were talking about each, you know, pitcher has kind of like something that works best for them. Right. You know, with, if there's, you know, supernator, supernator. And, and, and so when you're looking at these guys, is it a, a big sense of like who the pitcher is or kind of like who you project a pitcher to be? Does that kind of affect what you're looking for in the arsenal, right? Like, are you willing to kind of forgive a little bit of control issues if you see better stuff? Are you willing to forgive maybe a, a messy windup if for some reason it seems to work, if they're really executing their pitch locations? Um, so kind of like, how is that balancing act done for you as you're looking at a guy? Because it's probably pretty rare that ever, like someone will have a perfect kind yeah. of mark in all of those, right? Yeah, and if they do, then they are not going to be in the minors long. Yeah, yeah it's just... Yeah, they're they're going to be a star. And so every player is a work in progress. And so I think over the years, just trying to refine that process a little bit more and say like, okay, what can we project a player to be? Like it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what a 19-year-old pitcher is right now. If they're in high A, like it doesn't matter. But what matters is what they could be or potentially will be at the end of the day. So why do guys fail like as, as pitching prospects? Well, injuries are obviously a big one. And that's yeah, you know, it's something that's a lot of out of the control of the pitcher. You know, maybe for various reasons as far as like just, you know, throwing too hard, 
weird mechanics. Like they're doing something weird, but aside the point, like guys fail as pitching prospects because they can't throw enough strikes. And so at the end of the day, like, I think that's important. You don't see a lot of pitching prospects that are horrific strike throwers just become good strike throwers. Shane Boz is a weird exception where Boz was, I mean, he was like a 12 plus percent walk rate guy, if I'm not mistaken, before the pandemic. Comes into 2020, he says, I'm going to throw more strikes. I'm going to work on the commands. And he did. Like, he lowered the walk rate significantly, but we don't see that every day. Right. But that's a big thing. So I think that a guy has to be able to throw strikes, but there has to be something else with it. I can throw strikes all day, but if I'm throwing meatballs, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, if my fastball is 89, it's going to get destroyed at the end of the day. So it's a little bit of both. But, and I know, you, like, we sit here and say, like, okay, if they've got both, they're going to be really good. Sure. But... You know, you want a little bit of both. Like, I guess, can you throw enough strikes while deceiving hitters still? Like, can you paint the parts of the zone that you want to paint? And if you do, then you're likely going to be successful. If you have at least one plus pitch, like, you have something to work with. And I think now we're seeing pitch development kind of be taking the next level where teams are willing to invest in working on a pitch for the player. Teams are willing to work on that during the season, which is wild. But ultimately, like a lot of guys going to drive line and, and tread and a lot of these, you know, off-season workout facilities where they're working on a new pitch or they're working on velocity, all these different things. So I would say that it's probably harder to gain command than it is to gain stuff. Like yeah. I think you can gain stuff in various ways, but you know, you've got to be able to hit your spots. So that's one of the most important things, I think. But beyond that, like, you still have to have a little bit of something. Sure. Or you have to be just so unique. Like, I think of, like, a Joe Ryan, who doesn't really have a standout pitch, but his fastball has some unique outlier traits, and and Ryan just pinpoints his pitches so well. Even George Kirby. I mean, Kirby's arsenal's good, but it's not, like, stellar. Right. But Kirby had a 2.5% walk yeah. rate last year because he just pinpoint commands everything. So you like have to have at least one or the other, but typically like guys that have command or the ones that are excelling and you see different orgs do different things. Like Cleveland takes the guys with command, like Shane Bieber, Tanner Bybee types. They say, okay, like we'll develop the stuff. Like we just want to see you have the command. Right. But other orgs are going to take chances on the stuff guys. Like, like the pirates, the pirates are taking chances on stuff. Guys like Bubba Chandler, Anthony Solomito, you know, Thomas Harrington, they these guys have stuff. They're going to take the chance they can develop the other end too. So every org's a little different. It's fun to see and follow what they do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I saw you recently went to Tread and kind of checked out some things there. And yeah. you always, of course, see the videos on you know on Twitter uh, with guys like in the in the hitting labs or working on pitches with with um, these with Tread or Driveline. Is that something yeah. that you will take a look at and then maybe like look at a pitcher again or kind of see or be looking at in this early season spring training, see kind of what's coming from that? Like, what do you take from seeing? a video on Twitter of, of a guy doing work you know is it is he automatically yeah. moved up your draft board a couple of, you know like how's, how's that yeah happen? you know I feel like that uh we need a shirt for the industry that's like he went to driveline yeah. so he went to Jerry because <laughs> like everybody's like oh my goodness like you went to driveline so everybody freaks out you know that kind of thing and it's interesting because I think that it's something to look into it's not something to automatically push something up but it piques my interest and say okay like this player's taking initiative at least to work on something like, you know, for all the flaws that Mitch Keller has, Mitch Keller 
is a hard worker and Mitch Keller is trying to tweak his arsenal and trying to make it better at all times. Maybe he's tinkering with it too much, but I remember Keller was a big one last year where he was at tread and they had that video and it was like, Oh man, like this dude's completely changed his arsenal. He's added velo. He's added in you know, the sweeper. Like all these things are significant. And while Keller's results overall weren't great, we did see the flashes of an improved Mitch Keller, I thought in 2023. But you see guys like I missed Dane Dunning's bullpen. Unfortunately, when I was there last week, like he, he threw a pin, like right before I got there, which sucked. And like Owen White did as well. Like I wish I had seen Owen White and Dane Dunning in the bullpen, like side by side, that would have been like, those were two of the better guys that were there that day. Yeah. But it's like, okay, like what are these guys trying to accomplish? And I think you mentioned spring training. So let's see what this looks like in game action. Right. A lot of guys can look stellar in a bullpen or look stellar in BP, but if it doesn't translate to game action, then it doesn't really matter. So I think it's a thing where it pe- should pique your interest, but not like, oh man, like we got to push them up draft boards. Like I saw Ahmed Rosario was at driveline and everybody was like, oh man, like is he going to get to power? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Ahmed Rosario is just kind of man. So we'll see. Like it's like a wait and see in, in game kind of approach. So right. yeah, it, it is funny to see how like, especially like the fantasy industry is like so crazy about that. Yep, absolutely. Um, and then one more quick question before we move on to the next segment here. Uh, we got to get the listeners an, another name, of course. Um, so is there a pitching prospect that you've done a dive on recently and have been you know, maybe pleasantly surprised by or been particularly excited about? Uh, let me pull up my list here just to kind of uh, sort through these uh, pitchers. There are guys, there's always guys that I like stumble across. Right. And I'm like, you know, like, oh man, like, this is uh, fairly interesting. So Chase Hampton is not a new name, but I just happened to catch him in April this year. Hudson Valley was down here in Greenville. Nobody talked about Chase Hampton. I didn't know who Chase Hampton was. He really called my eye. I'm just looking down my list here. Um, but recently, I'm so infatuated with David Festa of the Twins. Like, Festa put up, like, just okay numbers. Festa's not a, a big-name prospect. But Festa's arsenal is like so unique and good where he's like 6'6", six, six too. Like he's got a starter's frame. He's a workhorse. Like I just really believe in David Festa. I haven't wavered on him at all. Like you look at what he did this season. It's like, okay, they had like a 4-2 ERA or something. Like it's fine. Right. Like nothing special, but he ran like a 3.65 FIP. He had a 3.49 BABIP. So like his BABIP was terrible, but he's like 95. He's like 20 inches of IVB, which is you know, on the elite end of, which he's an odd guy that is able to do that. Like I mentioned the taller pitchers earlier that struggled with that, but he doesn't, which is interesting. It, it is kind of flat uh, from the East to West movement, but the, the IVB does play like the slider and change are both in a same similar velo band, but the, the uh, horizontal separation is insane on them. Like the change up is like uh 12 inches of, of run one way sweepers, like 13, 14, the other way up to like 17. So, Really good separation there. So, like, Festa's one that I'm, like, pretty infatuated with. Caden Dana's another one who I don't think gets talked about enough in the Angels org, who I really like. Just wrote him up as well. Ty Floyd's a unicorn in the in this year's FYPD, where Floyd, uh, he's out of LSU. He had that awesome, like, game in the College World Series where he had, like, 19, 17 or 19 strikeouts. I don't remember off the top of my head. But Floyd just has, like, such outlier stuff. And he doesn't really rank that highly, but like I'm just all over Ty Floyd. I think he's one of the best pitchers 
in the draft class, but he's going to have to have some arsenal tweakings. He threw, he threw the fastball like 70% of the time last year, but it's a unicorn fastball. Like the secondaries are all really good, even though he doesn't throw them a lot. Like they're, they're still like really insane. So like Ty Floyd's one you watch and you're like, okay, like this dude's just got stuff across the board where it's, you know, really, really good. Kind of reminds me of like a Bryce Miller kind of profile, okay. but with better secondaries. Um, Blake Walters is a prep arm going to the Royals. The Royals haven't done well developing arms, as we've yeah. established, but uh, we hope that the new uh, development org will kind of uh, help that out. Troy Melton might be the arm that nobody talks about enough in the Tigers organization. He's like a top 200 prospect for me, but Melton has like really unique characteristics on all of his pitches. So uh, Melton's one that I'm like really in tune with that I really like watching and I uh, think really might pop off. Like he may catch more people's eye this year. So that's just a couple that, that I really like. All right, great. That's This is why you have Chris on the podcast, folks. You ask for one name and you get four or five. You know, <laughs> yeah, my sorry, list. sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's, I'm sure that's awesome. I'm definitely making notes on my own here too. Um, so great. Thank you for for kind of giving us some more, more insight there on, on kind of guys you're looking at. And and hopefully this is kind of helpful for everyone listening and, and trying to kind of make their own pitching staffs on their dynasty rosters as well. Um, but we're going to... Building a stronger financial foundation? Good plan. Northwestern Mutual's Guide to Good Financial Planning can help you balance spending and saving, set goals, and start creating the life you want to be living. You'll learn how the tools in your financial plan reinforce each other to help you minimize taxes and offset potential risks. Grow your confidence by strengthening your finances today at northwesternmutual.com slash goodplan. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Take a quick break, uh, and then we'll be back in a minute to talk about the prospects who will impact your 2024 rosters this year. All right, and we are back to talk about the prospects that will impact your 2024 teams uh, who are on the cusp, ready to go. Um, so wanted to talk uh, more about this because, you know, as we kind of talked about a little bit, 2023 was almost like a perfect storm, you know, of, of MLB debuts and prospect promotions and everyone kind of, you know, coming in and there's always new pitching prospects to look at and bid on and your, you know, redraft leagues and what have you. And, um, you know, there's just all these evolving philosophies and the new CBA and we just have this new wave of talent. Right. And so, you know, um, wanted to kind of just talk more about if, you know, how that's going to continue, you know, how we're going to see these guys kind of come on up next year, kind of who we could start taking a look at now. So, you know, even like I said, in redraft leagues, you're ready to bid on these guys or dynasty leagues might want to go uh you know scoop someone up in a trade or something like that so um this conversation will probably have like a bit more of a redraft lean to it as we're talking about guys who are going to uh impact teams um but you know of course this is still valuable for you know reviewing your dynasty rosters and and kind of figuring out where your pas and ab and uh ips are going to come from and whatnot so um you know first off I wanted, I took a look at, you know, the numbers of players, the number of players who had just debuted in each of the recent seasons to see if there was an uptick, if it like seemed like it was a ton, but um, just, just looking at the players who made their debuts in 2021, it was 265, 2022, it was 303, and then 2023, it was 261. So like pretty flat there, had a bump in, in 2022 even. Um, and so that was, I think, interesting to me. I think I expected it to be 
a little bit bigger. But then when you look at um, these players who are, you know, impacting teams, who are accumulating stats, specifically war. Uh, so I looked at rookies, um, important distinction there between rookies and players who debuted, of course. Um, so rookies who accumulate at least two war in, in a season. In 2021, there was 10 of them. Uh, 2022, there was nine. And then 2023, there was 17. There was also a pretty huge uptick if you look at players who accumulated one war. It was 29, then 24, then 35. And so, you know, I just want to ask Chris, if you had any kind of thoughts about this, you know, our you know, is this just more, um, you know, pushing up the guys who are better, like we talked about? Is this just, you know, teams getting more, like, um, uh, better with data, you know, knowing which guys are going to succeed and whatnot? Um, so, yeah. And then is there enough here to believe that this will kind of continue? Is is this just a weird season where a lot of guys, impact guys came up? Or can we kind of start expecting to see more guys like this going forward? Yeah, so I think that it's interesting to look at the numbers like you had and see you know we saw that there was significantly less players debut in 2023 but i think the quality of the player that debuted was much better so obviously that's a a big thing i think we saw a lot of pitchers too especially get the bump and were more promoted more aggressively so how many more aggressive arms are do we have left like you kind of look at the landscape like so I'm a believer like Ricky Tiedemann's on the opening day roster if he's healthy because the Blue Jays know they can't waste that talent or arm in the minors. And he might be one of the only like big names I think like really breaks through. But yeah, we probably see Jackson Job. We probably see Kate Horton at some point. Paul Skeens probably, but like why would the Pirates push him? I, I don't know. I'm just kind of going down my pitching prospect uh, rankings and it's hard to see like a lot of guys that could pop off at the levels that we saw this year with so many of the talented arms. So I think that 2023 might be an outlier year of that we had some effects of the pandemic in that sense. Like I think 2022, we saw more promotions because we had some older guys in the minors that just got time and got promoted. But 2023, we also saw the better players that maybe had a little bit of extra time in the minors or either... You know, teams just wanted to be more aggressive with them and push them. So the better players did come up earlier, and there were better results. This year, it's hard to just say because just the landscape of available players to be pushed up is just not nearly as good. So, yeah, we're still going to see plenty of really good players debut, but it's hard to see that that, you know, that war number being beat by this class that comes up in 2024. I, I'll be curious to see how it all shakes out, but I think that 2023 was a just exceptional year for prospects. Right. Absolutely. Um, I think that's good to kind of um, look at it like that. Maybe even temper expectations about, um, you know, what we can, what we can expect. And I think now it's like, I feel like you, uh, it's possible that you kind of get lulled into expecting more from prospects when they come up, you know, because you get someone like, I think anyone who hit on Julio Rodriguez in, you know, redraft leagues in 2022, that was, I think that was definitely on your mind in 2023. It was for me, I had him on one team, but it's enough of an impact where you're like, okay, let's, let's find that guy. Uh, and you know, it's, it's difficult. And then there's not always going to be someone who, who does that, like a, like a Corbin Carroll even now, now this year. And so, you know, it's, I think we've almost been spoiled to the point where we're maybe expecting this now, you know, like, Oh, who's going to be the first rounder next year? You know, that's, that's coming up as a rookie now. And 
I guess we're not necessarily always guaranteed to have that. Um, and especially with pitching prospects, we talked about how volatile they are and how quickly they come up. Um, you know, I can go the other way too. Guys can just look like they're on the path and then a change is made for the worse. And then, you know, it's, it's, it changes pretty drastically. We've, we've seen that as well. So, um, you know, good to, to kind of recenter the the focus and take more of like, oh, well, let's see, let's see how it happens first instead of being like, oh yeah, like this is something that uh, could continue because it definitely was something that we haven't seen in, in at least in a while for sure the kind of level of success in, in these in these rookies um yeah you know they, they still are prospects they still are learning the game and it's very tough for anyone for sure and then so of of these players of these kind of top echelon of, of players the rookie of the year favorites if you will um do you, is there someone that you are looking at that you know that you would pick to be the most valuable fantasy player uh, this year, or someone's kind of sticking out to you, um, maybe like a top ten prospect or so. Well, these guys are usually getting drafted and, and redraft right now. Yeah, so we do have an interesting top ten because, like at least for me personally, four of my top ten have debuted. Uh, Jason Dominguez being one, we know he'll be out, you know, at least a good portion of the, to start the season. But you have Evan Carter who's debuted. You have Jordan Lawler who's debuted. And Junior Caminero as well. We know that Jackson Trio is most likely going to be on the opening day roster because they signed him that long-term extension. Why not? Right. Wyatt Langford probably going to be on the opening day roster. So we sit here and I said maybe we don't have the same year that we saw in 2023, but at least at the top, like there's some some studs. Caminero is going to start with the team, you know, and without some unforeseen circumstances. Holiday possibly. Well, there's been talk about that. I mean, we got the AAA. He's just such a high floor to hit, high OBP floor. Wyatt Langford, probably it's a chance to be the best of them all, like right away. Caminero's got the big pop, and he's got a solid hit tool, but also you have Langford, who just has a well-rounded skill set. He has power, he's got speed, he's going to hit for average, he's going to get on base. Churio may have the most upside, like if all clicks, but I think there's more risks there. So, yeah, I mean, Caminero or Langford are the ones that, like, I'm most confident in, but also you have to take into account like these guys still are prospects and like there's going to be bumps in the road. Not everybody, like you said, is going to come up and hit right away. And that's kind of an important like thing to understand is that like it's a volatile game we play. Development path isn't linear, but the guys that have the safer hit floor, hit tool floors are ultimately going to be the ones that we see probably perform better sooner. So, like, Wyatt Langford probably can come up and hit the ground running. Like, the Rangers truly believe that. He was on the taxi squad ready to be called up during the World Series when Adelise Garcia went down. So that just shows you how the, the Rangers value him. Like, he may be in the opening day lineup. And if so, like, Langford's somebody that I'd easily bet on just from the well-rounded skill set of the player that he is. Right. Okay. Definitely. That that makes sense. Um, looking at at Langford right now, he's he's being drafted um, around one fifty, like one forty to one fifty. Looking at NFBC uh, draft champions leagues, um, so the draft and hold uh, fifty rounds uh, at seven hundred and fifty players taken. And usually in these, you're you're really focusing on playing time. These kind of dependable players get pushed up, but we're seeing guy who hasn't made his MLB at ADB yet and was drafted not even a year ago uh, going in the side the top 150 is that something that you kind of subscribe to are you someone who will like 
invest in these guys and in a team where in what dynasty if you're a win now team or in uh, redraft if you know you're just drafting a team is that something that you kind of believe in can you see the value there or are you someone who kind of maybe waits a year not willing to pay up for um for this kind of top prospect it's the risk you take, and I think that there's, I think the value in like a draft champions league is probably in the deeper parts of the draft. Like last year, I had a team that I co-managed with uh, Bob Osgood, where we won a 400 DC, and we were in the top 25 overall for until the very end of the year, and we hit on a lot of guys late. Like we hit on like your Gavin Williams, like late rounds like Bobby Miller late round there are a couple other prospects that, that we just hit on late that really panned out for us and obviously the guys the top guys like we're talking about here do have their upside but what's the potential return on investment like right let's say like what is a great year for Junior Caminero look like this year while there's power there may be some downside to the bad average like while his hit tool is fine you know, it's not a you know white length for hit tool. So there's some downside that we have to think about too. There's various risk that that each of these players carry because we don't know exactly how they'll handle themselves on an MLB lineup with the the rigors of and the pressures of playing for an MLB team. There's more on the line than there was in the minors. These guys put pressure on themselves to perform. Like we can go back and you know the Jared Kelnick when the year he came up, like Kelnick was supposed to be the guy. Like him and J-Rod were at the top. J-Rod obviously clicked. Like Kelnick was the one that was supposed to be that and click. But the it honestly just came down to Kelnick like he couldn't handle like mentally. Like he put so much pressure on himself. It wasn't a lack of baseball skills. It's the, the fact that it's a different pressure playing in Major League Baseball for a contending team. Right. And not every guy can handle that right away. We're talking about 20-year-olds. Like Jackson Churio's still 19. He'll be 19 when he debuts. Penny's on the opening day roster. Like, that's just wild. That's crazy, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine throwing my 19-year-old self out there, even <laughs> with all the baseball talent in the world, and yeah, saying, right. all right, here you go. Yeah, You're starting a major league team. Like, that's a lot of pressure on a kid yep. that's still a teenager. So, yeah, those those factors do matter outside of baseball. And you have to think about those risks. So, like in a D.C. and like a redraft league, like I'm more willing to take the risk later in the drafts and take safer bets. Like, I do feel pretty comfortable with a Wyatt Langford. But where does his draft stock land? I think it's going to be pretty high, especially if we get into spring training. Oh, yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Dude, his stock is going <laughs> to soar, and it may be just price me out. Yeah. I, yeah I, I don't think the potential return on investment is there to take Langford in, like, the top 50 picks. I just don't. He's yeah. a rookie. Right. It's a lot of prep. Yeah. So. And that's where kind of Cor- Corbin Carroll had kind of gotten up to that, like, top 60 yeah. or so, kind of by the, the time the season started last year. So it, yeah. it happens quick it does yeah <laughs> um all right so and it paid off yeah it does pay off it does this, here and there always pay off yeah, yeah exactly um you know because even looking at like jordan walker last year similar thing you know spring training he started hitting bombs it was like all the hype around him and then like he was all right yeah. you know he was good yeah but nothing nothing like uh now he's a first round pick like corbin carroll you know so it's yeah. just there's so much variability there for sure and yep. then uh so, so you mentioned you had done a dc and you kind of hit on some later picks and so um, let's kind of take a, a step back, kind of backward and as far as like ADP rankings goes. Um, so I wanted to kind of break this up. I want to ask you about a few um, players that, that you're kind of looking at. And I, I broke it down by your own rankings uh, instead of ADP. So it's kind of more of a um, general, yeah, applicable to both Dynasty and Redraft. Um, so looking at prospects uh, roughly between 
ranked 11 and 50 because we kind of already covered the top 10. Mm. So kind of that next tier of talent. Is there um, will there one hitter and one pitcher that you're looking at um, that you think will impact rosters this year, both of, of course, the major league roster and then your fantasy rosters? Okay. Yeah, I think that, yeah, when I was thinking about this question, I don't want to be like, pick the obvious guys like that everybody's kind of in on. So looking a little, I won't say deeper because these are still top 50 prospects, but maybe like less heralded guys. And I know Kyle Manzardo is not less heralded, but people kind of backed off of uh, Manzardo last year after a down, what do we call it, down year. But he was going through a lot of off-the-field stuff. And Manzardo kept the contact skills, like I'm talking about 70-grade contact skills that he had in 2022. He kept those. He added three miles an hour to his ninth percentile EV, added a couple ticks on the average EV. I think that Kyle Manzardo is going to be Cleveland's everyday first baseman, if not on opening day, pretty quickly after. Right. And he's going to perform. So, like, he's going to get most of the year in Cleveland and take off. He listened to Manzardo when I was out in Folly, listened to him talk. Like, this kid just gets it. Like, he's a good, grounded player. And I really do believe that Manzardo is just going to be a, a player to invest in. First base kind of bottoms out pretty quickly, in especially in like a DC format. Manzardo is a good pick there in my opinion, looking uh, kind of a little deeper on the arms. I don't rank a ton of pitching prospects highly, so I think I have like 10 pitching prospects in the top 50. I'm going to go with Hurston Waldrop. I just really believe that the Braves are going to be aggressive with him. We already saw that. They pushed him to AAA. There was some speculation, and I think even at one point, the Braves were ready to call him up. Like, there's some intel I got. The Braves were about to call him up to the big league roster the last week of the season where he would have been on the playoff roster, probably to pitch wow. out of him, but, okay. but still. So that's a hyper-aggressive move, and it yeah. tells me that the Braves were just confident in him. We saw them do that with A.J. Smith-Shalver this year. I mean, yeah. they pushed A.J. Smith-Shalver, who was a 20-year-old. They pushed him very aggressively from high A to the majors. And Waldrop has the stuff. The Braves tweaked some mechanics. They tweaked the arsenal usage this year, and the results showed. And, you know, while you may look at it and say, wow, the Braves have picked up these guys, they just picked up Chris Sale. I'm not so confident that Max Fried's healthy. I'm not so confident that Chris Sale can be healthy. Charlie Morton's 40 years old. Like, there's going to be opportunities. You can never have too much depth at pitcher, which is why the Braves have made these moves. Waldrop's already way better than Bryce Elder. I don't think that's a question, but, you know, so... I think we'll see Hurston Waldrop up pretty soon. I'm not sure exactly where his uh, ADP lies in in these draft champion formats, but he's one that I would certainly take a shot on as a pitcher because I don't think it's he's too far out from being there in the majors and, and pitching you know effective innings for the Braves. Yeah, and I mean with Wald- Waldrop like being just drafted this year, you know, it's like at some point like I think people get on the guys with time you know like the more longer yeah. that someone's in an organization the longer that they're performing at different levels people kind of you know get start paying attention to them but with Waldrop like I think a lot of people may write him off just because oh he was just drafted like that's a question for maybe next year or a little later and um you know it's I think there's definitely if he was like you said if he was ready to essentially get called up and kind of really on the cusp there then it could be pretty quick, and uh, pitching depth, like you said, is super important. But uh, we're looking at ADP, so Waldrop is currently sitting at uh, 497 in those DCs, and um, so I think that that's a that's a pretty decent value. I mean, you're pretty well yeah. into your bench there. You know, you're not really relying on him for for starts out of the gate, so that's great. 
Um, and then Manzardo is actually creeping into starter territory on the NFBC. He's just outside of the top 300 and has been um, pretty okay. steady there and like the low 300. So, um, you know, maybe like your last uh, last bat on the on an NFBC roster. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a great shot to take because like you said, those contact skills, like the raw talent didn't really change much. You know, he had a down year statistically, but he's really still the kind of player that everyone was talking about, you know, just before the season. He was like a huge... Um, Helium guy for sure. So awesome. Good. Um, thank you for those names. We'll do another group here. Um, prospects roughly between your 50 overall and your 100 uh, top. So top 100 guys um, that you think might impact uh, fantasy rosters. This is where I think you can find some, some good profit profitability, I guess is the word I'm looking for where there are players that are on the cusp that probably don't get as hyped as much that, may get pushed aggressively and you can capitalize so there's a couple arms and i'm actually if you have the adp up still yeah. i'm curious where kate cavalli's going where cavalli already debuted but uh cavalli was like major breakout in spring training last year before the injury and i know he'll miss some time but he's one he's going late enough in a dc where he comes up in the second half like back from injury that's a lot of value to be had and I don't know where his ADP lies, so we're going to find out now. It is outside Jake. the top 600. It is at 640 yeah. right now, uh, or the 630th player. And that is, that's pretty enticing, you know? Like, that's that's deep in the in the pool for sure. Yeah, you're not getting a, a player there that's going to contribute anyway. Right. So that's the shot that I'm talking, like, that's where, like, I got Gavin Williams last year. So, like, this is, if Cade Cavalli gives you 50 to 60 innings down the stretch that are valuable, it be like, it's a huge win yep. because you think about like basically from this standpoint, like of the, you have Cavalli plus a replacement player, like like whoever you're plugging in in the first half, like it's probably a solid pitcher you're using at that point. Somebody goes down, you plug Cavalli in. This is a really good profitability opportunity for Cavalli, who he was. I mean, I'm telling you, last spring training, he looked so good, and people kind of saw that one major league start that wasn't good to end 2022 and they're like eh, whatever Cavalli's not good right but he's he's got the stuff obviously we don't know how he comes back from tj but that's a risk you take in right. that dc format that's a little deeper looking for a bat here uh, just looking through some guys this is where you have to look at like team context sure so i think that brian ramos stands a good chance to return some value with chicago where ramos is younger he's 21 but there's big power. Their infield's just not good, to say the least. Yeah. Ramos can play short. He can play third. They're even talking about playing him at second. And while there's guys that play there for the White Sox, if Yohan Moncada is the best at those three, then I think there's opportunities to break in. And also, like, Colson Montgomery could break in too. But Colson Montgomery's been dealing with a lot of injury issues. Ramos, big power bat, like, really good EVs. Pretty solid contact to where... Brian Ramos isn't talked about as a top 100 prospect, but firmly in it for me. And I really believe in that bat. Saw him in the AFL, and his body was even better than I thought it was. Like, you watch him on film, he doesn't look big, but this is a just a freakishly good-looking athlete that's like 6'3", kind of chiseled. Like, okay, like <laughs> I want this guy on my team. So he's probably one to invest in, and another potentially being Victor Scott with the Cardinals, just a great source of speed. Like, Scott's better than Estre Ruiz is. He just has to find time to play and a place to play in St. Louis, which is 
their, their outfield's pretty crowded. They've made, obviously, traded O'Neal. There's still a lot of mouths to feed there. Ramos has the easier path to play in time, but Scott can make a major impact with his legs. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Um, definitely noted there. Um, with Brian Ramos, he is going at, uh, he's the 756th player nice. taken right now. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like a round 49, round 50 type pick there. That's awesome. Um, looks like he's only been drafted in 13 out of... 45 DCs and so not not someone that you know people are really kind of thinking is gonna gonna be there but like you said that the White Sox roster is thin you know even they kind of they have that uh they like Paul DeYoung there now they have a couple different second basemen like you know like Bremillard and uh um Lenny and Sosa and it's like how long can those guys really hold back a prospect like this especially for the team that is now in its it's second rebuild in the last few years and so they're going to be taking a step back again so off of team context awesome there um, and then Victor Scott too. I think he's been kind of getting a bit more attention. Um, so he, at yeah. the beginning, he was maybe not getting drafted in kind of that late uh, mid seven hundreds. Now he's risen all the way up to five eighty four. And so he's someone yeah. who's yeah, he's definitely getting that uh, that kind of helium already. He got the AFL helium. Yep, yep. yep. <laughs> for sure. So um, all right. And then was there anyone else, um, maybe even outside of the top 100 that you were looking at that you think kind of be a, a real dark horse to kind of come in maybe. And, and even like you said, just kind of have some sort of value down the stretch. I mentioned David Festa earlier in the show. I think that he probably makes an impact. I, I still think one of the best investments you can make, and he's probably going a little higher is Robert Gasser mm-hmm. with the Brewers. Yep. Just cause Gasser, I mean, he's got a spot, like they don't have Woodruff, I mean, if they trade Burns, like we're talking about somebody that spent the entire year in AAA last year, Gasser's ready. He's got the stuff. So I think that Robert Gasser's a really good investment in a DC. I'm curious where his ADP is, probably in the 400s, if I had to guess. Yep. Uh, 478. Yeah. So, I mean, you're looking at like after round 30. So right. I think that's still a, a good spot to invest in a Robert Gasser there. Yeah. So those are a couple of arms. Because yeah. he was in AAA, uh, for, and he was like, you know, I was thinking that he could even get called up last year because he, he spent some time in AAA yeah. already, you know, and that uh, that the uh, rotation is definitely thin with the injuries they've had, you know, with uh, Woodruff not being available now. And so there's definitely going to be some opportunity there. I love Gasser. Yeah, I mean, Justin Henry will always probably the bat with okay. Detroit. He's just such a high floor hitter, very high OBP, good contact skills. He's not going to give you a ton of counting stats like power speed, but good enough. And Detroit's got some openings where I'm a little shocked he didn't get caught up last year, but I do think that's on the horizon for him to probably get caught up pretty quickly this year. Yeah. And that's, I mean, definitely I think prospect fatigue starts to set in when you had kind of, you were seeing the the highlight videos of him in AAA pretty much all year last year. And it's just kind of like, when's it going to happen? And then it ever does. And so it's yeah. kind of like, it's like, oh man, like, all right, it feels like we've been there, done that, like moving on to someone else. But I, he's on the cusp, you know, he's, he could be fighting for a, uh, for a roster spot pretty quickly. So, um, and he's currently not going to cost you a whole lot, of course, uh, like yep. most of these guys, he's at going around five fifty. So, um, so if yeah, anyone listening wants to hop in a DC and maybe take advantage of some of these prices, definitely, uh, go check it out. Becoming your strongest financial self. Good plan. Northwestern mutuals guide to good financial planning can help you balance spending and saving set goals and start creating the life you want to be living. Get it today at northwesternmutual.com slash good plan. The Northwestern mutual life insurance company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, it's it's a ton of fun to kind of draft this early and, and take advantage of some of those values. 
Um, but with that, we will go ahead and take another break. We're going to come back. we got one more segment for you guys where we talk more about uh, the scouting process and, and how you could be looking at uh, guys on your own. All right, and we are back. Um, so I wanted to really, you know, take advantage of this time that we have Chris on the podcast to talk about scouting because it's something that, you know, we've mentioned a little bit on the podcast before and, like, how time-consuming it is and how it's, you know, hard to dedicate that time. But um, I think it's it's really fun when you could, you know, watch a game, see you hear about someone, you go and watch them, and then you kind of make your own opinion on it. This is, like, novel research that you're doing. You're not, like, jockeying with other people that are listening to the same podcast to kind of go and add a guy as quickly as possible. You could potentially kind of get in on your own a bit earlier. So, you know, if you have the extra time to watch some extra minor league games, you know, what should you be, you be looking for? And uh, so we're going to try to attempt to give some more kind of context about that, what Chris looks at. Um, so first I want to ask you in general, why do we scout, you know, like how much, how much information can you get from stat lines or, you know, it's like a fan or baseball reference page and kind of what is the added value to seeing these guys, uh, in person and on, on video? Yeah. So I think that like the fan graphs, BREF page, like it tells you a small picture of, of who a player is. It's tough because how in the world do we get looks at every player? Like you said, it's very time consuming to do. So it's a good starting point, I believe, to, well, it's okay, like, especially with pop-up guys, I think that, you know, we'll have all these prospects popping up to begin 2024, say like, man, this guy's popping off, he hit eight home runs in, in April. And so I think that that is a good avenue into looking at a player. Like, if you don't have, like, obviously we don't have time to watch every player, but you can, you know, go deeper on the player from looking at that. I think that that's pretty critical because, just looking at the you know, Fangraphs page kind of discounts a lot of who a, a player actually is. There's so many nuances to minor league baseball. There's so many things that players are working on. Like those things that we don't know. Uh, I I think that you have to know and see these things to be able to get a full grasp. And like the just a basic Fangraphs page doesn't really tell me a lot about like a player's swing decision. Like you can look at uh, strikeout minus walk rate or whatever it may be. And walk rates are a good starting point. But a player with decent play discipline is going to walk a ton in the lower level of the minors because the pitching is so poor. So, like, like just off the bat, like, okay, like, what does the high walk rate actually mean? Are they just, like, somebody, somebody with a decent eye can walk a good bit? And I've, I've always been uh, – somebody I think somebody said this, but, like, you could stand in the, especially at DSL, like you could just stand in the box and never swing and probably walk like 15% of the time. Like it just is what it is. Right. So like knowing, I guess, the nuances of each league and knowing how the progression of players is, is important, like in the minors, like what they're going up against. Like, so I think that the stat line is a good avenue to looking deeper into a player. It's just the first step into like really seeing these guys and saying like what they are. So like you got to get a bigger picture. You, you can see things on video, which are great. There's things that you can see in person that are even better. But the biggest the biggest difference in my opinion, a lot of orgs are going to like video scouting. They're using a lot of, you know, just analysts to to video scout. There's like, I mean, I can just, just the Braves don't scout on the pro side. The Braves have zero scouts they send out to games, which wow. is crazy. Yeah. 
they have they have the amateur side. They have guys going to amateur college uh, high school games. They have zero pro scouts that go out. Wow. But so every org does it a little differently. But I do think there's value in seeing the players. It gives a, a better picture of of who they are. Players don't always look like they do on film. Like Brian Ramos, I'd seen him on film, but he surprised me when I saw him. I was like, man, this guy's got a really just athletic frame. He's bigger than I thought, more muscular than I thought, just like a good athlete. And the film didn't show me that. The film also, you can, some camera angles are terrible, like in the Myers. You got the press box here. I'm like, how in the world (laughs) am I supposed to watch anything with pictures on these, man? Like, so those are tough. Yeah. The cameras have gotten better, I will say. Like over the last few years, a lot of cameras have gotten better, which is big and important. But uh, you can see a lot. I think you can see a lot on video. And a lot of teams believe that too. So the in-person looks, I think, are important for a variety of, of stand, like standpoints. You you see things in person that you don't always see. You see more of the makeup side of players too. Like what's a player doing? Like how are they acting when they strike out? Like what are they what's their poise like? What's their dugout presence like? Like all those things, the makeup matters on a player a lot too. And you can kind of pick up on those things just being at the game. Maybe film doesn't tell you. And while we do stuff for fantasy, like fielding's not as important, but for me, it's harder to get a, a good look at fielding on the uh, the film. Like everybody, Roman Anthony was like, oh, he's moving out of center field. And then the first game I saw Roman Anthony, I'm like, this dude's a good center fielder. Right. And that wasn't a one, that was a one game sample. But every game after that, I'm like, okay, like, we're looking at a plus center fielder. Uh, the reports that I've seen weren't accurate on that, but I saw it in person. I'm like, this dude's range is incredible. He gets great jumps on balls. Like, he's got good speed. There's zero reason he can't stick in center field. Obviously, they have Sedan Rafaela, so he may move over just because Sedan Rafaela's a gold glove center fielder. Sure. But, you know, the, the fielding's the thing that I see in person that you don't really see as much, like, yep. on the the tape. But, yep. you know, aside that, you can get a lot from video, which is, is good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the part with the camera angles is always funny to me. I, I worked for a independent league uh, baseball team, and I was a video, like, intern. And so I was manning those cameras. Um, and we, like, we streamed on Vimeo. It was, like, horrible quality. Uh, and we did, we didn't have like a high home camera or we didn't have the center field camera. We just had high yeah. home and it just killed me like to watch, like <laughs> even like when I would be manning it and trying to do a little bit, like following more players and do, it's just so hard. Um, and then just uh, when you get like those lower levels, you are having like, you know, like maybe 20 year olds, like so you got the interns out there. Yeah. And it's like, I feel for them. All. I watch games and I see some horrible cut where the camera is like violently shaking. I'm like, oh, been there, you know, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it, but it's also when you're, when you're scouting and you like bring up a game and you see that um, a first kind of camera angle, like where you're way off in like right center field and you got like a lefty pitcher and you're like, well, there's no chance I'm getting much from this, you know? So yeah. it's, it's always, it's tough and it's, it's almost funny to just kind of like, when you're preparing on a game, like, okay, what am I going to get? You know? And there's just so much variability there. Um, but when you are watching, when you got the good camera angle, when you're, when you're doing your, your scouting, you know, specifically with mechanics, what, um, what are you looking for in a player's mechanics? We talked a little bit about pitchers mechanics, about them being like violent and repeating mechanics and, and, and whatnot, but maybe specifically for hitters, like, you know, you hear things like, Oh, he's got an explosive lower half or like, Oh, he's got quick hands. You know, like how do you see these things kind of, um, you know, pop out to you? Like, what are you looking for in, in these instances? Yeah. So like, if you can get the side angle, it's huge. And I know that obviously most minor leagues don't, right. aren't doing that, but you know, what we're seeing, like, it's like what we can get from like the center field view on camera. Like, so what I'm looking for is 
obviously like a little bit of pitch recognition, like that doesn't do a lot with mechanics, but like, I think hitters can get away with some different things mechanically, as long as the bats like back in position, like at the load. So a lot of hitters have excelled with weird pre-swing stuff, but what does the leg kick look like? Few hitters can really, I say few, but it's easier with a smaller leg kicks. These guys with big leg kicks have to have really good timing. So like, what does a two strike approach look like too? Because some players will go from a leg kick to just a toe tap with two strikes. And you can't kind of see that. Like they choking up a little bit, toe tapping, like those things actually happen like more often than you think. So I think there's some value in that for watching with a hitter. But like, I always am getting like at a game, you can't, not as much on field, but at a game, I'm going to get the open face looks and I'm you know, going to take a video so I can look at it back later. But yeah, I'm looking at like the, the hand to hip separation, which like basically what that means is like at the load, like as a hitter's like coming back, like with the hands and the hips are separating going forward. Like, what does that look like? Where the hand placement is in a good spot for load because that hand placement when the swing begins, I think matters a lot because it dictates like what kind of swing they're putting on the ball. Like, do they have a swing that can generate natural loft? And, and some guys just don't. Like, we've seen Vladdy Jr. struggle with this for years. Like, all the talent in the world, but he just pounds the ball on the ground. He's not in a good spot. Like, what does the, the bad angle look like coming through the zone? Mm -hmm. And you get that in the open face look, like from a, a live look. So is that like, you know, are, are the hands are higher? Is that more of maybe like a line drive ground ball swing, lower hands, maybe more loft? Is it kind of like where, as far as where the hands are positioned, where do you see that kind of then translate to the swing? Yeah, so it just depends like where they are at loads. So like some guys can get away with the higher hands like pre-swing, but they get down into a decent like slot okay. pre-swing. But if they're still high, like at the time of swing, like naturally the barrel only can go down. Like so... Obviously, I'm demonstrating, but it doesn't really show on video, but like, you're not, you're listening to this. But anyway, the hands, like if you think if your hands are high at the time of the load, like when you're starting the swing, like where does the bat, where do the hands have to go? Like they're not going to stay high. So naturally you're going to have to drop it some. And by doing so, you're dropping the barrel most likely, or you're kind of chopping down on the ball. And some players get away with that because they backspin it so well. So like if you're backspinning the ball really well, it's going to travel in the air, but naturally you're going to see that swing be more, you're going to get a lot more ground balls. Maybe some good line drives with it too, but it's harder to hit home runs. You don't want the hands too low either. It's a weird spot. Like, you know, are they around like shoulder height? And if so, like, I think then when we're looking at the swing and seeing, you know, how the hands are coming through, like, how long does the barrel stay in the zone? Which means like how long are their hands staying in that good place from start to finish of the swing? And the longer that their hands are in the right slot and the longer the barrel is staying in the zone, the better chance a hitter has for contact. And that's what matters most, I believe. So, okay. And that's like when the hands and the barrel are kind of like right in front of the player's body. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically like, where are they on playing at? Like, is it just, is it like, feel like the barrel staying through the zone forever like as they kind of come through and like is it in that same spot like from the back of their body to the front of the body the barrel's just hanging out there in front of the zone they're creating kind of good lag behind there the hips kind of clearing and getting some power like that's kind of what you want to see but at the end of the day a lot of different things can work for different guys right. but you know everybody's different in that sense so like a taller player is naturally going to look a little different than a shorter player and a lot of times the shorter players are going to have a little more of an uppercut. Like 
like Jet Williams naturally has a little more of an uppercut, like just something that I've kind of observed just because you know, different things work for different body types. So it's just something to kind of watch. But knowing that with hitters and even pitchers, a lot of things can work, but just naturally the more the barrels in the zone, the better chance for contact and quality contact at that. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, good. I think that that helps. That definitely helps me too. Because sometimes I think when you're you're watching film or maybe watching a side angle, it's like, oh, it looks looks great. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, looks smooth. It's, uh, all right. And then what are you, what are we actually looking for here? You know, like what's going to make a difference? And and kind of thinking about those hands, I think is is really good, uh, especially for the, like the younger prospects. You know, when you don't have as much data on performance, you know, it's really like you were you know we're talking about like international guys right now. Or about yeah. signing J15, you know, that's huge when you're looking at video uh, for these guys that where you're doing a lot of projecting. Um, so, yeah, awesome. Thanks for the for the kind of clarity there. Um, and then how about in a player's approach? Uh, we kind of talked about a little bit with like sequencing and, um, you know, high walk rates at lower levels. But is there kind of anything else that you're looking for when you're watching games about, you know, maybe how a player takes pitches, how aggressive they are in certain counts and whatnot? Yeah. And so I think there's also the the big difference we mentioned, like just with the standpoint of like the lower levels, like there's a lot of non-competitive pitches. It's why Roman Anthony's stat line in single A was whatever. Like it just wasn't good because he was getting so many non-competitive pitches and his plate skills were too good. It's honestly why I believe that Dylan Cruz's numbers didn't look great in the minors because a lot of non-competitive pitches, I watched several at-bats. Cr Dylan Cruz knows the strikes on better than umpires, especially at the lower levels. No. And he got rang up with some terrible call third strikes, which in a small sample, it's going to inflate the, yeah. the K rate. So. Absolutely. But like Roman Anthony is a great example. He's somebody that's seen a lot. Anthony's plate discipline is really good. He doesn't chase often out of the zone. But like, what's the two strike approach like? Anthony gets a lot more aggressive with two strikes, and he's more prone to chasing the breaking ball of the zone with two strikes, which he doesn't do earlier in counts. It's just it's the nature of the game. But like, how does a player pick up spin? Like, you've talked about pitchers a little bit, but hitters like, can they pick up spin out of the hands? Like you. So a question I've always, like, I've started asking, like, when I interview players, like, what do you see out of a pitcher's hand? Because it's interesting to see what players say. Right. And, like, when they say they, they can identify that, like, that's huge. Yeah. Like, you pick up spin, that's great. Um, so looking at that, but just watching, like, what do the swing decisions look like? Like, what pitches are they swinging the most at? Are they taking advantage of, like, poor pitches? Are they jumping early in counts? Like, all these things you want to see. It's not necessarily a good thing to be passive. Like, Emmanuel Rodriguez is an example of a player that just doesn't swing enough. Right. He's he gets way too deep into counts and he gets rung up on call third strikes. Or he's getting he's getting the pitcher's like best breaking ball with two strikes. He's not getting the best pitched hit with two strikes. He sits there and watches everything. So there's kind of the negative side too of that. Like this year we had several guys that broke a hundred walks in the minors for like the first time in a while. Like I was like Jeff Williams, Tamar Johnson was one. There are a couple others, but like, you know, is it is that a great thing for fantasy purposes? Well, it's a great real life skill. Like, how much does it benefit you to to walk that much? Like, I'd rather you take some hacks and hit a hit in a hitter's count. Ultimately, Emmanuel Rodriguez doesn't do that, and he needs to do it more. So, right, you start to see those like twenty percent walk rates, you know, and then it's like, okay, so what's yeah. really the diff? What are you getting between two, maybe twelve and twenty? You know, no, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you definitely Both want players to have a great eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, like you said, it's just, especially in those lower levels, you could just, you could watch so much. Um, 
Great. And then, um, we, we talked about international prospects, or uh, I just mentioned it pr briefly, but I saw on Twitter, you've been posting a lot of, uh, content preparing for the January 15, uh, signing date when, you know, players can officially sign with their teams. You know, we know in a lot of instances where players are going to sign. Um, but the, the international pool is such a huge, a kind of overwhelming thing. It's so hard to get data on these guys, video on these guys. And, you know, you have, done a lot to you know kind of look at the, these incoming players so how do you approach the international pool when you start looking at uh, some of the bigger names that are going to sign it's really hard because things change so rapidly there's very little out there you scour like i scour players instagram's accounts to look for any any film possible yeah you get a guy I with would... like a with a bit of a big head and you're like yes thank you that's exactly yeah. what I, yes post all the videos <laughs> of yourself that you want <laughs> yeah Seriously. So, I mean, you, you can look like it's hard to find, like there's some international academies that have TikToks and Instagrams that post some, some film, but how recent is it? We don't know. Right. Like that's the hard thing. The reports are minimal. So you have to go on the little bit that's out there. Like I just try to, I don't want to regurgitate a report, obviously. Like there's guys like Ben Badler and uh, Jesse Sanchez with MLB Pipeline who actually see these guys. Those are the trusted sources. International scouting directors aren't just talking to anybody. Like, right. they're not. Like, people, those are like the hardest connections to get. And so the struggle is how recent is the information on these guys? I put out, I've been scouring everything I can find. There's a player I rank pretty highly. I put in my top five. And I got some feedback from somebody who actually, I, I know they talked to an international scouting director. And this player in particular, his body's apparently majorly regressed over the last year. He's lost some bat speed because he's gained bad weight. He's slower. He's just not as athletic. And that's affected him. So going from being a like a consensus top three, like to to dropping like and by some set outs of the top fifteen. The interesting thing is, like, these teams have agreements two, three years in advance right. with a dollar amount. So these teams are signing these players based on their 13 and 14 year old selves. There's a major difference in these players then and now. Yeah. So, so much changes. So the tough thing is like pipeline now no longer talks about who the play team signed with because MLB's like, they're not supposed to be doing this. Sure, so yeah. you can't list the team. Yeah. And so obviously like it's out there with a lot. You'll see them wearing the team gear and you know, but, yeah, right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I wonder where that came when from. Yeah. Why are they wearing that Cubs thing in their 13? Okay. Yeah. Like, it's obvious. But aside from that, Pipeline and Baseball America only rank based on signing bonuses. They don't rank based mm. on, like, the talent level. And that's because of that. And right. so it's so hard for me to try to, or anybody, to try to contextualize this and say, like, okay, the player agreed to, a, we'll say, a $4 million signing bonus two and a half years ago. He's not the same player that he is now. And so getting that most recent information is, is pretty huge. And somebody even asked me, they're like, why is why was this player so much different on your national list yesterday than they are on your FIPD list today? And well, somebody gave me updated information. And so like naturally, like this is gonna change my opinion because what I have on this player may be a year old. And so the video may be a year old. And if something's changed, like we've got to adapt, and that's so hard to get, we just don't get it. Right. The film that Pipeline's gonna be pumping out on January 15th is not recent film. Their bodies may look a lot different, and that's so hard. And it's, I don't want to rank international guys. Like I really don't. Yeah. I, 
you, you, I don't want to have to put them in FYPD list because they're just, it's so hard. Yep. And the information's so little, but like, I'm just trying to find any little bits I can to try to form the best opinion. And the opinion is just that it's an opinion. Like it's so hard. It's the hardest player to rank in my opinion. We'll know a little more in the, when they get to the DSL this summer, but even then I'd still say it's really hard to evaluate a player until they come stateside because even like I've been privy to some DSL track man data, but teams cheat it. Like teams turn up the track man to try to trade these guys. It's so crazy. The things uh, that orgs will yeah. do. And so then the track man data is not accurate. Like, all right, this guy's popping off EVs. They're like, it's just, and it's just consistent across the org. Like you'll see like, okay, like all these guys in this org, just why are they so high? And then you come to find out like teams are turning it up to try to trade these players. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's really, it's a, it's the wild west is what it is. And yeah. so nothing's concrete at all. You just have to do the best that we can. Right. Exactly. Wow. Um, that's, that's just, that's so crazy. I mean, it's, it's hard enough looking at like, like single A players, you know, and finding video of them. I mean, the international pool is like a whole other different thing, you know, it's, especially cause all of them are still really young, you know, they're still 16, 17. And, um, it's, there's just so much that can happen between that point And then when they're, you know, debuting. And so, um, I think you definitely kind of have to get more information once they hit the, the becoming your strongest financial self good plan northwestern mutual's guide to good financial planning can help you balance spending and saving set goals and start creating the life you want to be living get it today at northwesternmutual.com slash good plan the northwestern mutual life insurance company milwaukee wisconsin professional circuit and, and start doing that um but that will that will wrap up the the kind of the content that we got from chris the scouting sections um Thank you so much, Chris, for for all of your your really great input. Got some great names. Uh, we're gonna do another ad break real quick, and then we'll come back and uh, just ask a couple more questions about twenty twenty four, and then uh, and then be on our way. All right, so we're back, and you know, I wanted to ask Chris a couple kind of uh, you know capstone questions to kind of wrap up the conversation today. Um, so, kind of, do you do you just have any general final thoughts on kind of? So, do you just have any general final thoughts on on where we're at in uh, in prospecting right now? Maybe where there's value to be had. It's an evolving game. It's uh, always the circumstances are always changing, and you know, ultimately, it's just. Uh, refining the process a little more every day and uh trying to be a little better at the craft and figuring out like when we miss like why do we miss you know why, why why do we miss on this player why uh why was i not higher on that player like i always looked back like for me and it was andrew painter's draft year like i read my report on him like and it was so good like it was like potential four plus pitches well why didn't I rank Andrew Painter higher than like 22 in that FYPD class? If I truly believe that he had four plus pitches, what was the the hold up? Like, sure. I believe he could get to that. You know, why didn't I? And so like looking back and saying like, okay, like here's the process and like, here's what I need to do a little better. Where we are at prospecting, it's a, it's an interesting time because we, you know, are privy to more data than ever. Uh, we now see Savant having, you know, AAA data. It has some Florida State League data. There's rumors will be even more this year. Obviously, you have to get into the, the backlog to get it, but it's pretty easy to get to um, just with game feeds and stuff. So, like, it's just blending all of that and, like, knowing what to look for. It's, like, what matters. Everybody will tell you something different, and I think it's a little bit of both. 
Like I think that we live in a world where we can blend old school scouting models and and data to find the best form of a player, like to form the best opinion on a player is to use both. And that's what I try to do. I, I want to, you know, have a old school scouting method that can can look at a player on video or in person, but also bring the data into it to to truly analyze a player. So everybody has different opinion, but I kind of sit in the middle and say like both are very useful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then what can listeners expect from you in uh, 2024? Uh, just uh, harder working Chris that wants to be a little better. Um, I am planning to launch a, a daily live show covering the minors, which right. will be fun. So that's kind of a big, uh, one of the biggest new things. But awesome. uh, yeah, so just uh, better coverage of the minors and yeah, a new live show. It's kind of fun. So I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. And uh, be sure to go check out uh, Dynasty Dugout if you're interested. If you're not yet subscribed, if you are not yet uh, privy to what's happening over there, definitely go and check it out on uh, on Substack. And, and um, you know, it's it's something that I've been taking advantage of for a while now. It's a really great uh, community. And um, it's definitely, you know, Chris's, uh, you know, rankings and whatnot is uh, really great to kind of something to have in your back pocket. And so definitely go check out Chris on on Twitter at Roto Clegg, uh, check out Dynasty Dugout, listen to him on the, the Tool Shed podcast and whatnot. And um, again, thank you, Chris, for, for coming on and, and offering all of your, your insight and wisdom because it's uh, definitely valuable for me and, and I'm sure it's valuable for, for everyone as well. Yeah, no, thank you. I had a uh, blast just chatting. I always love chatting ball. So uh, glad we could do that and uh, appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right. Um, so with that, uh, have everyone, uh, hopefully everyone has a, a rest, great rest of your day. Um, you could follow me on Twitter at Jake Mache. And then, of course, you could follow the podcast at PL on the farm. Thank you all so much for listening.
Becoming your strongest financial self? Good plan. Northwestern Mutual's Guide to Good Financial Planning can help you balance spending and saving, set goals, and start creating the life you want to be living. Get it today at northwesternmutual.com slash good plan. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin.